you you were saying that you're that you still obviously you still feel pulled back to this story is is this something that you just feel like is gonna gonna happen you know, i'm 53 you? man i don't feel <laughs> i don't feel uh, i feel like uh i gotta i gotta know that uh i want to live a little uh-huh. and i i have a few movies that i i think could really really impact the genre that i love mm. that's one of them mm. and i but i gotta think that life shows you where you're going you know I, I I find that the most interesting paths reveal themselves to you. You know, I I I think that uh, if if the movie is meant to happen, it'll happen. If not, I'm pretty sure Western civilization will survive mm-hmm. without <laughs> it. You know, I don't. I'm not ha- so sure about that. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, have you looked out? Have you read the news today? You know, yeah, it's pretty week? bad. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I think yeah, there was that beautiful bumper sticker: "Vote for Cthulhu, the lesser evil." <laughs> right? you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be so bad? You know, <laughs> Maybe no, you know. I think I think that uh, I I don't I don't do I don't declare anything about <coughs> my own future anymore. Yeah, because I just say, look. What I learned is life is what happens when you're making other plans. John Lennon was absolutely right. Yeah. If, um, provided you did you know go back and and end up doing the film you feel like you would still use the practical locations that you found in alaska you would maybe build things well, yeah, in but, studios but, in yeah, toronto but, but what i think is what i think is important in this is the mandate is how much can we do it for so we can keep absolute freedom mm. not the other way around you know i mean m- my experience with shape of water came out of making uh, Crimson Peak for 55 and ha- having to market it mm. as a horror film because it wasn't and 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 to me what that that is another one that hurt a lot because uh, if you if you make a Gucci bag and they market it as a blender and somebody buys it as a blender. They say this is the worst blender I've ever seen. <laughs> this doesn't make say, smoothies. What, the, what the fuck did you sell say, me? But it's a Gucci bag, and they say, yeah, but it's. I bought it as a blender, and to me, Crimson Peak was the way I would have done it was, and I, I wouldn't have forced the hand of the studio if I did it for twenty twenty five. Mm. The studio could have marketed it for what it was. Yeah, you know, and then. It would be marketed as a very strange, sort of deranged little gothic romance story, you know, and 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 it would have been a different life for the movie. So, Mountains of Madness. Now, the way I think about it now is when it happens, if it happens, it'll happen at the scale that allows the movie to be quirky mm. and to retain the spirit of the book, even more so than the last draft yeah. that we have. You know, I think that we can go back to a more pure place and and uh, and and get it made for less. Sometimes, the gulf between film criticism and the permanence of a movie, very now and then, it seldom happens, but when it happens, it's heartbreaking. 
I, I lived it in my teenage years with the, the first Blade Runner and with the thing. The first Blade Runner was also vilified mm-hmm. when it came out. At this point, we almost get this this preemptive film criticism for things. That, I mean, people have talked about this movie that you never made mm-hmm. as if, well, having looked at this PDF that I found online, yeah. this script obviously would not properly do justice to the... Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, th- that, that would happen no matter what. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, what you find is when you play in arenas that are very much cherished, no matter what it is, it can be any of the universes, and Lovecraft is certainly a universe. I mean, I, uh, we tried to make an analysis to present to the studio about the fact that Lovecraft is essentially uh, like Tolkien. Mm. Uh, Tolkien mm, has a, more of an accountancy of how wide his influence was because he had he left uh, a legacy had heirs Mm -hmm. therefore the heirs keep a tally but the number of books in print of H.P. Lovecraft are astoundingly vast Mm -hmm. it's been translated to every language and it's beloved and no matter what you do no matter what you do 50% of the people will love it 50% of the people will hate it in a good day the people that really are the core, you know, and yeah. that is true of any universe, uh, superhero, fantasy, no but matter I, what. But I have to imagine, though, that because it's never actually been done at the scale you were trying to do it at, that that even a lot of the people who might disagree with some of the choices you make would appreciate no, actually no. seeing you. Don't believe that. No, don't. That's not human <laughs> nature. No. no. Oh, yeah. And I understand it. Yeah. And I understand it. And I'm cool with it. Yeah. I mean, you don't play in an arena that big without somebody absolutely vocally d- disliking what you're doing. I mean, no matter what. Yeah. It can be the Marvel Universe, it can be DC, it can be Star Wars, it can be Tolkien, it can be Harry Potter. Yeah. Somebody is not going to like what you do, and that's, and that's fine. You know? you, you, you're not presenting it as, uh, okay, now I made my movie, give me all your books, I'm going to destroy them. No, <laughs> keep yeah. your books, keep your universe, yeah. this is the movie. You don't like it, God bless you. Don't see it ever again. Yeah. Never again. Don't buy the DVD, don't buy the, the Blu-ray. <laughs> Tell some people not to go. That's all in within your rights. Yeah. Mm. There are people that have asked you about Frankenstein and Slaughterhouse-Five. And, and yeah, yeah, but let's not do an inventory yeah, yeah. of penalties. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, there, there, well, there was there was one in particular that I just wanted to bring up uh, that I I can't remember who told me about it, but it was uh, Mephisto's bridge. Yeah, yeah, but that's gone, 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 gone. I mean, I have cannibalized it by now. Yeah. I I took the wings and put them in the Angel of Death. You know, is that I, I, the the reason I was bringing it up in the first place was just to get a, a quick thread of 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 how you cannibalize things. Well, no, I just I just reused. I keep that image. It's not an image that was per se attached to that screenplay. It's an image that I attached to the that that image comes from an engraving, uh, archangels in Mexico and archangels in medieval iconography often have uh, one eye per wing. Their wings are made of eyes. But I'm talking about hundreds of eyes, and uh, in Mephisto's that was the idea. Each each feather has an eye. Of course, I cannot do that, but I put the the eyes on the ridge of the feather in in Hellboy, you know. And uh, and then you know, but that comes from iconography that is beyond Mephisto. The 
There's a couple of moments in Mephisto that I, I, I would still love to do, but it's a really old script. Um, are 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 there any are there any unmade projects of yours that that are on that list of things that you'll be rolling around in the back of your head during your Monte sabbatical year? You're, you're see, now you're just catering to me. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. No. 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 The, uh, searchlight. Uh, after we did the um, shape of water. water. Yeah. They said, "What? What else do you have?" And I sent Monte Cristo. Tom Cruise asked back then, "What do you have?" I sent Monte Cristo. Yeah. I still think it's the best screenplay, along with The Witches and uh, Beauty and the Beast. Those three screenplays are the three best screenplays that I have written or co-written. I would love to read the other two. Well, yeah, because no, I, I, re- I reread Monte Cristo once a year. The beauty, the beauty of the Beauty and the Beast uh, was, I was incredibly proud of that script, you know, and uh, I, wa- I am incredibly proud of The Witches, because it, I think it captures Roald Dahl's book, and Lizzie Dahl said, you know, in a very flattering way, she said it's the best adaptation of, of Rawls' work ever. And I thought, well, I, I hope so. I, I wish so. Uh, you don't know. But it's a movie that I also tried to do. I mean, look, all in all, uh, somebody listed uh, a thing the other day that was 45 movies. I was, well, some of them are a stretch. Uh, some yeah. of them are things that somebody announced but never, you know, mm-hmm. announcement announcements exist in our world because people need to feed media every day mm-hmm. and this is not a business in which you cannot you cannot feed media every day on the reality of the business mm-hmm. so you have to say somebody somebody saw Ridley Scott reading an Archie comics is it, is it possible that he's gonna do Archie and Betty and Veronica uh, you know who knows uh, I'd see that movie yeah, <laughs> but but um, there are in fact around twenty-five screenplays that I have written or co-written. I have only made ten movies, so there is roughly to calculate the least is ten movies that are written physically. There's a screenplay that de- that required six months to a year mm-hmm. to develop. Some of them have one year and a half or two years of development. So in total, I'm 53, and if I didn't, uh, if, if, if the tragedy of movies on Maid had not struck me, I would be 40. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I would be yeah. a 40-year-old guy. So I know, in fact, there are 13 years of my life of saying goodbye at 9 a.m., coming back at 6 p.m., that were wasted on things that didn't happen. to bring things back around to a, to a happier, warmer mm-hmm. karmic position. Um, the Shape of Water has been a, a wonderful healing experience for so oh, many yeah. people that have seen it so far. Well, for and, it, and for you personally, it seems. What, what, what things have you, have you taken from the movie that particularly healed you and renewed you? I mean, there were a couple of things you mentioned in particular about how it, it changed your thinking about how if you were to make Mountains of Madness at this point, under what conditions and how you would do it and where the line is drawn, as it were. Well, you know, first of all, I, I really think um, the, the way movies are consumed is changing, you know, and I... I don't look back 
ever and say, oh, it was better before or anything like that. But you, you do want to try to make movies that honor film. Uh, and I don't mean film as celluloid. I mean the cinema-going experience that you generate images that that have a certain permanence, you know, if you can do it. And, and it makes you think very carefully, you know, I, what you do next. I don't know if I'm going to do a tiny movie next or a giant franchise movie next. I have no idea. So the one thing that it changed is uh, I'm producing all of 2018, but I'm not directing in 2018 until September. September I will be prepping something. I don't know what, but what I do know is I'm going to take months to decide. All of my life as an adult, I have others decide for me to a certain degree. I mean, I've had my hand on my faith, uh, on my fate uh, twice, once in Devil's Backbone, in which I said, I'm making Devil's Backbone, and Blade 2 tried to jump ahead, and I said, no, 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 I'm doing Devil's Backbone first, then I'll do Blade 2 no matter what and and if you want me you'll wait for me because I gotta do this one first and Pan's Labyrinth and Shape of Water you know these are three movies where I said Boop, I'm doing this next no matter what no matter with whom you know and I'll do it as small as it needs the first budget for Shape of Water was much bigger you know And but then they said 19.5 and I go okay and we did it we gave it we, we you gave money back. back yeah we came back 200,000 under you know so that's that's gonna be what I get back as salary because I invested all my salaries plural, producer, writer, director into the movie. But there is uh, there's a sense of I'm gonna take a break. I'm gonna be active as producer, but I'm gonna take a break and think what I'm doing next. So that that alone is a miracle. One of the things that you've you've talked about in interviews already is that you're going to do a series of interviews with Michael Mann, a series of interviews with George yeah. Miller. Yeah. Is this is this something that you're looking at doing more of that kind of stuff? Well, I, I you know only with people I deeply admire, and a lot of them are busy, you know. Yeah. And I, and 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 it's it's hard for someone. My condition, if you want to call it that, my condition is that they give me two weeks of their time because I do want to be very deep in the way I interview someone. I want to prepare my questions, and they are mostly about craft. We will talk about theme and anecdote and all that. Of course we will. But I want to say, I want to phrase the craft, because uh, I think that's very absent in the discourse of film right now. A lot of people talk about movies in terms of plot and character, and that is a huge disservice to the visual weight, the audiovisual weight of movies. We don't give them that epic size they have. You know, uh, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, and I've said this before, is I, like everyone else, am incredibly taken by long-form narrative in TV and, and so forth, but because it generates amazing characters and amazing plot lines. But it does not generate, with very few exceptions, rarely does it generate monumental images that never go away, you know? I got, it generates monumental moments. There are plot reveal moments. That, or that moments kind of where thing. I can say the scene in which so-and-so do that is amazing. Yeah, but can you draw the frame? No, you can't. 
Who can? Yeah, can you draw can you Lawrence draw? of Arabia blowing out the match? Yeah. Can you draw uh, the elevators gushing blood in The Shining? Yes. Can you draw Chaplin going through the machine in modern times? Yes. Can you draw the ending of... Uh, um, the ending of The Shining, yes, you can. Can you draw, uh, uh, you know, Gene Kelly grabbing the lamppost and singing in the rain? Yes. And therefore, if we have a painterly, musical, flow, magical thing that is filmed, why don't we discuss it in those terms? And that's what I want to do with Miller and, and Mann, you know, to talk about the, that craft. Why do we do that? And and did you think about it? And even if the answer is no, then to talk about why did you shoot that way? Why did you use this camera? Why did you? What was happening through your mind? I I I read somewhere that George Miller and I asked him, and he said no, it's not entirely true. Somebody early in the days, the the, the interviews with George Miller were so rare, so rare uh, that I had they they I, I got one or two. Uh, and I treasured them, and I read them, you know, and 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 I one of them said that he had seen Mad Max, and had tried to buy back the negative and destroy it because he was so sure it was a bad movie. That and I asked George, and George said, "No, no, it's not quite true." And he said, "I didn't feel that way. It was this and that." But that did happen to me with Pan's Labyrinth, exactly that. I, I, I went to Alfonso in New York and I said, Alfonso, let me, let's never release this movie because it's absolutely terrible. You know, I, 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 can I buy the negative back from all the partners, give me a few years. And, and then he said, show it to me. And I, I had the hard drive and I showed it the movie and he loved it and he said, you're, you're insane. But the, that the, the fact that you get that you get lost in your own maze is really something. It's part of the craft, and I think when a filmmaker talks to a filmmaker, you can reveal things that people could talk about again. I, I think my favorite book on film is Truffaut interviewing Hitchcock, you know, and I think that the level of craft becomes evident when that happens. It's a very different level of candor. Are there other people that you've that you've approached or that you want to approach? To well, do that I, sort I, of thing? I, would, I would love to talk about, I mean, when you talk, I'm talking about, uh, the way I approach this is I make furniture, let's say. And I, I'm approaching somebody that assembles furniture without using glue or nails. Like I, 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 an amazing craftsman like George Miller or Mann, that I see the chair and, you know, the way I see a chair, because I make chairs, is very different than somebody that appraises chairs for an antique uh, an auction house. I make them, so I see the assembly. I see the beauty and the elegance of the wood, the grain, you know? I would love to interview uh, Francis Coppola. I would love to interview Marty Scorsese. I would love to interview Spielberg, because in terms of orchestrating the camera and the actors. Everybody talks about the amazing 10-minute sequences, but Spielberg has these mini-masters that are within between one minute and three minutes in most of his movies that are just amazing pieces of, of staging that should be studied in every film school, you know? No, I, you mentioned that, and I... First thing I think about is... Uh, 
is the Kintner attack on in Jaws. Yeah. You know, and just the way he uses editing in a way that like most people yeah. hadn't seen before. And yeah. That, you know, and how he was able to to convey a feeling through that. And you know, the motherfucker was like twenty six. Yeah. You know, when he did but, that. but but you see, I mean, you see Duel and realize if you if you told me right now, you were holding your entire family, including the cousins, prisoner, and we're gonna kill them. You gotta shoot Duel. <laughs> and the amount of days he shot it, yeah. they would all die. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. But the same happens with uh, when I see something in a very different way, okay, in a very different tone. Mm. The same thing happens with something like Baby Driver. Mm. I mean, most people can see how great it is and how, but when you think the way I think in terms of procedural, like call sheet day, breakdown, uh, assembly, Editing the conception of that movie is insanely complex. It's in it's it's a it's a, Gene, it's a Gene Kelly musical in it, so many but places. It, but, it's, but it goes beyond that because I mean, uh, it's that layered on top of a car chase, on top of a this, on top of a that. It's an impossible feat. I mean, it really is a superhuman feat of. Uh, it's a virtuoso exercise. I, well, I'd say I mean, you may agree or disagree with it. or... Yeah. If some people may adore it, some people may not. I don't know. I adore it. I I can tell you, I look at it and and the only way I can break it down is with uh, Edgar and talk about it. But that maybe I do another book in which I do shorter interviews about specific movies. But uh, the way Alfonso orchestrated the one shot in the car in Children of Man, of course we know how he did it. Of course you can break it down, but. The difference is we can break it down. We know how we did it. We can talk about it. Somebody even might reproduce it. Not a problem. But the the gulf between that and conceiving it is unfathomable. You know what I'm saying? Because the the difference is amazing. That to, to and to ask him why, why did you need to make it one shot? Which I've had that conversation with him, but I would like to have it publicly because it illuminates our craft. In a different way, it's an it's an enormous question for me to then turn around on you. But with Shape of Water, mm-hmm. the thing that hit hit the front of my brain uh, upon first seeing it is that uh, uh, finally I've seen a Mexican make a French film mm-hmm. uh, yes. that is also a silent film, that is also a musical, that is also yeah. an epic romance, mm-hmm. that is also a, a Chaplin movie and a Lloyd movie mm-hmm. and a Keaton movie all yeah, at once. Yeah, yeah. All of those different layers of 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 of, of construction of the whole piece D- did you find bits of those coming to you as you were putting it together was it something that you had no, a lot of the, the ingredients the answer is yes and no yeah. you do it you, you do it you're seeking a specific thing and then you find other things in the way what were you seeking specifically well, that led you down the path there is a great story there's a, one of my, the most influential little fairy tales that I've ever read talks about three brothers that are on the way to uh, woo a princess and two of the brothers are wealthy and and they're smart and they're good looking and the third brother is uh, this shy little guy that nobody is absolutely sure what he's good at and along the way he picks up things that everybody thinks are useless he picks up a dead bird he picks a piece of string he picks a little cheese you know and you know, they say, throw that thing, throw those things. What do you want them for? And like any great fairy tale, this becomes a parable. Because then uh, 
the two older brothers come in front of the princess and the princess is tired of smart guys, tired of good looking guys. And then comes this guy with these things that are so odd, that are intriguing. And he wins the hand of the princess. And I think the way you go at a movie, the way you look at cinema and the way you look at life, the way I do it is like that guy. I walk along a road and I pick up things that most people would leave on the floor. You know, and I pick up a musical, and I pick up a little melodrama, I pick up a little... And, and I just instinctively think, that this will go really well together, because like any Mexican, you give me 20 objects, I'll make an altar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can put them together in a way, in an arranging that makes sense. That's the way I do it, instinctively. Then intellectually, you, I can, we can talk for a good chunk of time about how you execute them stylistically. But the the initial instinct is that, is uh, this, will, th this will go really well together. It's sort of the umami, the umami flavor of cinema, where you go, this needs a little more bitter, this needs a little more tart, or whatever. You you try to find that that thing that makes the flavor you want. Was was there a, a sparking dead bird that you picked up along the way that 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 pushed yeah. this to the front of your plate? What was the what was the thing? Well, that... it was when when I had breakfast with Daniel Krauss in 2011, and he said I have this idea about a janitor. Because look, super secret government facility, amphibian man kept in a cylinder. I've done twice, you know. Amphibian man in love. I've done once in Hellboy too. But what made it spark was in 2011 that idea that that Kraus said. When I was pr I was shooting Pacific Rim initial footage, and he said, uh, "Janitor finds amphibian man in super secret government facility and takes it home." And I thought, "Oh, that's the way, janitor." Because what you want is to know. I remember that issue when I was a kid. Who is the tailor for Batman? You know what I'm saying? Who makes the Batman suits? That's, you know, who clean, who changes the oil on the Batmobile? You know what I'm saying? Who, uh, and those master brews have nice habit, toilet habits? <laughs> you know, does he flush? He forgets to flush? Is Alfred going, Master Wayne, not again. Like, <laughs> put the lid down. <laughs> you know, those are the things that make it alive. Alejandro Iñárritu calls it the, the, the fat, the little, the, the traces of fat in the meat. And I think that's <coughs> the, 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 the grim. The grim is what makes something good. You know, if you think about it, 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 goes, it, it goes back to saying is the essence of wabi-sabi, the aging, the weathering, the, 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 everyday nature of the degradation that makes something gorgeous even better. George knew it when he first weathered Star Wars. You know, first time. I mean, that's the genius of George. Lucas comes and says, my universe will look used. And he transforms the history of cinema, honestly. Ridley does it, Ridley Scott does it later with Blade Runner, you know, in a, in a bigger way. But that's the thing. How do you weather this 1954-style monster movie? You go through the janitors. You know, 
the people that are picking the trash, that are unstocking, they're, they're trying to lift a, a piece of chewing gum from the floor. You know what I'm saying? They clean the toilets and say, who the fuck peed over? You know, they could pee in the goddamn, you know, they are scientists and agents, but they pee all over the floor. You know, can they please flush? <laughs> you know, that's that's what makes the fusion of the extraordinary and the ordinary. You know, there is a, an ancient river god, an elemental river god. It's not a monster, it's a river god that lives in the Amazon, and then you put him in your bathtub. That's the fusion of those two things is what makes it interesting. It's one of my favorite Disney princess movies now. Yes, it is, because the princess is not completely uh, 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 doesn't depend on purity and perfection you know and aristocracy <laughs> yeah or aristocracy you know well one one last thing for you so you you've talked a little bit about what you're doing in this in this off year before you start prepping something in September yeah. is there anything else beyond what you've talked about publicly that that you are interested in doing in in marbling your meat as it were yeah well, I would be completely stupid if I mentioned it <laughs> people already think I have 20 projects <laughs> which is by the way an illusion yeah. you know be, why because everybody works like that uh, the amount of I, I mean if you go to the to the to the movies that people get attached to and never do whether it's Fincher doing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Gorbervinsky doing Bioshock we all have those you know, the problem with me or the, 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 the specific nature of me is that for some reason they get reported more. Yeah, you, you, you get enthusiastic about something that is a maybe and yeah, somebody and then, reports it as a certainty. Says, oh, you know, he never did that one. I, well, okay, well, Del Toro promised me that this was yeah, happening. That, that this was that happening. Fucker. And, 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 and you never do. I mean, it's always properties that somebody has. You, some of them develop, some of them don't. Is there anything that, uh, I mean, you mentioned Gore's Bioshock, you mentioned all these projects. Is there anything that sticks out to you? You can go back to the whole, the history, like the first thing that I brought up to you was the, was a Hitchcock movie that he never made. Is there any of these unproduced movies that, that you sit in, that aren't yours, that you sit and go like that, that's something that, that like the world is, is lesser for not having. Oh, both of them. Yeah. I would love to see Fincher do 20,000 Leagues mm. Under the Sea. Yeah. And I would love to see Berbinsky do Bioshock. I, you know, Gore Berbinsky to me right now mm. uh, is a, a storyteller of the highest order. And, uh, you know, a guy that doesn't get his due. Uh, I know he's an incredibly successful and financially successful uh, guy, but I do think he's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful all all-encompassing great storyteller. I, I love his uh, minor stuff, quote-unquote, like The Weatherman. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very efficient, beautifully told little tale that shows that he can handle that and then huge scope. So I, g I have great admiration for him. And Fincher, of course, is a movie machine, yeah. you know. But I would love to, to see both of them. I mean, I, I think, look, uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think the one thing that comes with uh, having done it for a quarter of a century, there is a sense of uh, balance that you get that, you know, you, you substitute enthusiasm for genuine passion that is much more calm. Mm -hmm. So I, I get less excited, but I get more deeply committed. Mm. 
to mm. my own stuff and to the interest of seeing other people's stuff. Mm. You know, you know what I'm saying? I don't know yeah. if it makes sense. It does. It's a it's a quieter form of uh, of commitment and enthusiasm. Yeah. I, I do, I, I do have a, a something that I want to ask you about since you know so much about Hitchcock mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, one of the very first inklings of me wanting to pursue talking about unmade projects was talking to Roger Avery, um, and uh, uh, about I forgot what movie I brought up to him, but he said, "Oh, you know, the most fascinating one for me is a movie that Hitchcock never made." And I haven't been able to actually figure out if this is true or if he was just spreading some you know some something you'd heard but he was saying that that hitchcock was developing a um a uh around the opening of disneyland yeah yeah, no, yeah. it was called the blind man the the, the, the blind man the blind man yeah and, and and yeah and he was supposed to be like a a wrong man style movie that took place in the in park disneyland, yeah and that that uh, disney he, he could never do it, no. Yeah, because there's a murder in the park, I, I right? Think it, yeah, I think it was called The Blind Man. I'm huh. 90% sure it was So that's a real thing? Man. Oh, yeah. Completely. It's one of is his... Is it a project. script you have seen? No, the one I'm curious about is... <clears throat> I think it's called Daddy's Gonna Hunting. Mm. The original screenplay that I think Larry Cohen wrote and Hitchcock was going to do, and <laughs> he never did. That I'm very curious. A Larry about. Cohen Hitchcock. Uh, uh, yeah, Larry Cohen is an interesting. Well, guy. The, there was there was a I think Seven Arts made a movie called Daddy's Gone Hunting. No, right? I think that they made it. They made it. Yeah, but they made a different version of the screenplay that was uh, that was done by. Now I don't know if this is uh, Hitchcock being nice to Larry Cohen, but uh, uh, allegedly he told Larry Cohen, uh, "This screenplay is so perfect that you don't need me." Now that may be that may, that may be that's a blow off. Uh, that may be a, a version of it's not. You, Thanks it's for me. lunch. You yeah. got the check, right? Yeah. No, but 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 it may. I, and, and all joking aside, judging from the fact that uh, what's what's the movie Larry did that is amazing called uh, is it called Perfect Strangers about the the guy that kills a guy in an alley and mm-hmm. a kid sees the murder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Larry is an amazing. Uh, he has some. Has had some of the most amazing ideas in genre. Yeah. So that one I'm curious.